Thank you for listening to $2 Late Fee with Mac and Dustin. It is the best Aviz podcast in the world, according to Mac and Dustin's mommies. Ha <laughs> ha. Hi, this is Brad Fidel, composer of Terminator, Terminator 2, True Lies, The Accused, and many others. I want you to listen to $2 Late Fee and hear what's up with me now. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. All right, here we are for another exciting, hard-hitting top five list. We've uh, we've done a few. We've done a few this year. No, we, we did won. our top five Keiths. Top five Keiths. But this is our first top five music one we've done in a while. It's it's really funny because I keep I totally forget. I don't know why I forget the name Keith. Like, I totally forget that we did a top five Keiths. And in my mind, we did a top five Kirks. And, but then I get, I get, I'm like, Kirk Cameron? I'm like, that seems weird. We didn't do that. And then, you know, you say top five Keiths. I'm like, right, that's what we did. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They're both K names, but I don't really have an excuse for it. I don't know any other Kirks other than James T and Kirk Cameron. That would be the end of it, right? We wouldn't even get to 10 or five or. I mean, there's some overlap for sure, you know, with the with the Keiths. But um, but anyway, I digress because today is very exciting. It's very unusual. It's very specific. Yes. Um, and very much in your wheelhouse, we know for sure. Uh, for those that may not know, you also host another podcast called Podcasting After Dark. Um, it only airs after dark, so not, not many people have, have heard it. But um, but that podcast focuses on cult movies, horror movies, and sci-fi movies specifically, where you and Corey Stevenson break them down. Um, and that is very much your uh, your bread and butter, dare I say. Is, you know, are you comfortable with me saying that that's your bread and butter? I think so. Yeah, I was raised on horror and sci-fi, having a a brother who's five years older and exposing me to movies Well, my mom too, but exposing me to movies that I would never in a million years think of showing Bodie right now. Right. Um, and just, just hearing the phrase child exposed me, you know, like, yes, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Like, what were, you, what were your precious eyes seeing? Can you imagine um, if my first name was Steven? Then we would, you know, this would be a different, totally different podcast. <laughs> It would just be me asking you about, you know, if you were okay. You actually came on Podcasting After Dark with me. You did a watch Uh, list with me. I did to talk about that movie. Yes. (laughs) No, my first name is Steven. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Top five traumatic movies, I think. Top five traumatic movies. And 
uh, as an aside, I don't know if I told you this, but the second we stopped recording, I thought of another movie that belongs on that list. And I'm not going to remember the name of it, uh, but it starred Bernadette Peters. And it's a story about a boy whose father uh, burns him. And it's really horrific. Oh, and that movie traumatized me. And it's based on a true story. Of course. Um, because they all are. It is <laughs> called course. David. David, David. And poor David. I'm, I'm shuddering even thinking about it from 1988. I'm so sure if you I can thought, go back. Oh, 88? Wow. 88. <laughs> it's like a made-for-TV movie. Caught on TV. Didn't sleep for days. Um, <laughs> Most of those. Yeah. His father tries to kill him. And, um, anyway, Jesus. that was totally, totally digression. But uh, How was the soundtrack for that movie? Right? I don't, I don't remember. I just remember the screaming boy. Um, oh but if you guys, yeah, if you're, if you're listening to this and you want to hear Zach and I talk about just the movies that traumatized us as children, go listen to that. The podcasting after our watch list. Yeah. That was a fun episode. Cause it really but, gave us, uh, gave a little insight, much like our top five bullies did gave a little insight into our psyches. I, I'm like a, like I've said many times before, this is therapy, I guess, in a way for me, because I, I, sure. I reveal things on this podcast that I haven't spoken about in years, decades, to the point where I've had friends reach out and say, my God, I'm so sorry I, I didn't, I wasn't friends with you <laughs> like I should have been in high school. And I'm like, it's all good, dude. I've I've gotten over it now. That this these These moments, I think you said it to me. And like, how can such an upbeat, positive guy be like into such dark dredges of society type movies? And it's because it's the complete opposite of who I am. It's, yeah. it's fascinating to me. As a kid, I was fascinated with serial killers. I was just like, what makes these guys do what they do? You know? And yeah. so uh, horror, sci-fi, cult movies just really like tap into a, a curiosity for me and uh and i'm in, i'm like you know i'm pretty damn happy go lucky uh more happy go lucky recently than none i don't know why something just came over me. <laughs> maybe it was the whole ted lasso inspiration for those that don't know dustin had said to me at one point he's like you should watch this show ted lasso on hbo or on uh, apple tv because it's it's you you're ted lasso i'm like oh okay fine yeah and i finally got around to watching the first episode and i was like well i don't know if this is me and by the second episode is like Oh, this is totally me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't oh, make man. shortbread cookies, but I do bring over breakfast sandwiches whenever I can. It's, uh, you know, just like the most positive guy with, you know, can can make your day feel better with just a line, you know, just a, just a, how you doing there, buddy? And, and uh, I did have yeah. a poster in my classroom when I was a teacher that said, don't stop believing. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So we had to have inspirational quotes. That was like mandatory. You got, you know, that that's yep. really going to get you to do something when, when, when your boss says, okay, we're going to start doing this. That's going to get you excited about it. Right. When you're told, because everybody loves to be told what to do, especially me. I'm like, as soon as someone tells me to turn left, I'm like, I'm going to turn right. Um, anyways, they said, oh, we're putting up inspirational quotes. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to put up, don't stop believing. And parents would be like, what's that all about? And like, look, you can find inspiration anywhere. Yeah. Do you not know Journey? <laughs> parents? Well, and then the other quote said, nothing but a good time. And then at the bottom oh, it said funny. poison. 
That's and parents great. were like, "Oh yeah, and that, don't those need two nothing." Songs were my anthems. Those are my anthems. So, anyways, those are great. Those are great. Simple, straightforward. Yeah. If parents don't understand that, they just need to get a sense of humor. I totally agree. Um, but okay, back to where we are. So today we have top five horror soundtracks. Um, scores, right? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, scores works too, you know? <laughs> I mean, look, here's the thing. Here's what I was going to say about, about this is that when it comes to horror movies, from my perspective, it's harder to say, you know, like, here are these top five things because of the fact that you don't, things don't always stand out, right? Like, obviously, like Halloween, people know that. There, there's just yeah. certain cues that you know you recognize as a horror thing. But when you really, you know, deep dive into it, there it's it's not like there are, you know, certain... I mean, there are certain songs that you'll associate with certain moments, but it's not like in the same way a soundtrack for any other genre. It's not like sports movie soundtracks. They don't, they don't stand out to me the same way. You know, they, they evoke different emotions because they're designed to do that. Um, you know, for me, I think I sort of melded this exercise and I think I did, you know, a hybrid of, of scores and, and soundtracks because ultimately that's what has always stood out to me. And I don't know if we said explicitly like scores or not. And if we did, you know, and if you, if you want to change and, and, you know, it's, it's all fair game. It's all fair game. I might change up one or two. <laughs> and I'll just be like, those are also on my list. And, and the other thing is, uh, for those that might be familiar with our top five lists, um, we are not doing all horror movies in the history of the world. This is basically confined to late seventies through the early nineties, which, you know, the cusp is like 93 or something. So, yeah, um, yeah. That, that, that sounded fair to me too. Okay. So I think I've explained all of our normal rules and caveats and digressions and everything like that. So I think we can just jump in. Well, and, and I think. We should probably tell everybody why we're doing this. Oh, you're so top good. five. You're so good. I I buried the lead <laughs> as always. Well, we we a little while ago. It's a little longer than uh, normally we we post interviews, but this one had been sitting in the vault for quite a while. The two dollar late fee vault. We just honestly we had so many interviews lined up. It's finally seeing the light of day. We recorded it in 2020. Uh, but it will be airing. This will be the follow-up to our top five horror film uh, soundtrack score list. <laughs> it will be with a, well, he might actually show up on this list, one of our lists. But uh, Brad Fidel will be our guest for this month of, uh, you know, theme connectedness. Brad Fidel, obviously known, known as the... The, known for the Terminator, known for True Lies, known for a number of huge scores, uh, and then one particular horror score that may show up on my list, but, you know, we'll find out when we get there. Never heard of it. <laughs> but yeah, Brad Fidel will be coming up uh, following this episode in two weeks, so stay tuned for that. 
Um, awesome. And thank you for remembering that. Uh, I keep it is my pleasure. Like, hey, we got 10 vibes. Let's get to it. You're like, uh, we got to guess. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. A lot of podcasts do do episodes that are not necessarily connected. Ours yeah. are. So there you go, you know. and uh, Yeah, you know, the audience expects uh, some cohesiveness, I think. Like, why yeah. are you doing this? Why what's are you guys doing? You're just doing what's hard. The what the hell? <laughs> but I, I'm excited about this one because honestly, you know, we talk so much about soundtracks on every episode that we do, and and, and that is a part of our show. Uh, one particular song. What soundtracks stand out to us uh, overall? Like, without that soundtrack, is the movie the same? And I, re- for me, like I, I was really. I took a fine tooth comb to this list because one song, you know, I think of like the movie um, Friday the 13th part six. I think it was Jason lives. It might've been part five. Anyways, there's a great eighties <laughs> song in there called I'm no animal. It's great. It's a great ditty, but it, you know, that song is a standalone. It doesn't necessarily, I don't associate it with Friday. The right. 13th. I mean, I, I think that song is awesome. Um, yeah, it is. If you don't I know mean, what it is, maybe we just, it's by a band called felony. Maybe we just change up the, the list here to just be like top five, you know, horror songs or whatever. But, songs. but I do, um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you which part of Friday the 13th that was from. I, I, I know that Corey Feldman was in that one, but you know, I wouldn't just be like, Oh, that's that song from that. You know, I know it's Friday the 13th. Yeah. It had great kills in it, yeah. but I don't associate like pop rock songs no. with Jason. I, I associate kick, right. Kick, kick, kick. right. That's it. And that Harry Manfredi, Manfredi soundtrack score, mm-hmm. I think is his name. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I, you know, so for me, I was like, okay, what <laughs> are the five for me in no particular yeah. order that really just like with this makes the movie for me. And this we'll makes the out. movie. I mean, that's, that's a good way to put it. And I think that's certainly what I did uh, in, inadvertently um, just as far cool. as, good, <laughs> you know, it always comes back to, for me, like this, uh, what is that nostalgic thing that I remember? Or what is that one thing that stands out? Um, and so I'm just going to start at with a top five here with my number five, uh, as far as things that, that stand out. So in 1986, there was a movie. It's not a good movie um, <clears throat> called Chopping Mall. And wow. Chopping Mall, wow. Chopping Mall to me is, we were talking about podcasting after dark. It's, it feels like a podcasting after dark movie because it's got all your cast of characters, yeah. uh, all your favorites, uh, Kelly Maroney, Barbara Crampton, um, you know, a, a cast of, entirely made of white people. Um, you know, there's, it's got a link to karate there's, kid. There's, there's no, uh, Tony there's, there's Tony O'Dell who is like the ninth Cobra Kai. I guess he's the fourth. He's the fourth technically. Um, there's like not, a, there's not a single, there's one person of color that I, that I, I think is probably in the movie. Um, but it's got par, Paul Bartel in it and Dick Miller. It's got all your Graham. people. It's like, it's, it's, got, it's great. And Mary Warner. I mean, <laughs> have you guys covered that on, on Pagan Savage? We haven't. We're, okay. we're getting to it. <laughs> it's we, not, we will. 
<laughs> get Kelly Maroney. It's uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what those. That's you know the the big selling point because she is gonna as somebody that can actually act, and I feel like everybody else in the movie yes. is just kind of like flailing around. Um, but the very short um, synopsis of this movie is that it's like short circuit. If Johnny Five came alive and just started killing everybody in this mall, um, you know, there's just not a lot redeemable about it. Uh, it was made for a, like no money, um, but but there's this amazing, dare I say, synthwave, right before it's even mm, synthwave. Yes. Um, in the, I felt like in the '80s, everyone was calling it electronica, you know, um, but there's this quincent. Quint, Quint, I can't say words anymore. Um, quintessential um, opening to this movie that I feel like is always um, used even now. And that is essentially that as the opening uh, credits are being played, there's a, there's like life in the mall kind of a, kind of a scenario that's happening. And, yeah. You know, you've got like the skateboarder going th- and like somebody's got a bunch of sodas and like somebody's at the arcade, right? And like, it's just, they're just showing you this quick, it's like this quick montage of like life in the mall. And there's this score and the composer's name is Chuck Serino. And it's like the best um, just synth wave music uh, that kind of starts at this point. And this really is the best thing. It's the thing I've always remembered about this movie. You know, because it's just like, snap, hey, mom, like everybody like, going to get photos at the mall and shopping for furniture. And it's just like every little snippet of life. And then, um, you know, these robots come to life and start murdering people. And then the score gets a little heavier. But I, to me, the score is the best part of the movie. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a film that was shot here in L.A. Um, the... Uh, for those that live in LA, like yourself, you know, it's the exterior is the Bev Center a lot. Um, but which is still very much standing, very much. It didn't, robots didn't destroy it, uh, despite what Chopping nope. Mall will have you believe. But, um, but I mean, you know, you hear a name like Chopping Mall and you're like, oh, like a maniac with an axe is like running through the mall. It's like, no, it's just some laser robots and you're like, what the, what's going on here? Um, so yeah, that's it. I'm going to keep it keep it simple if you yeah it's underrated i think it's an underrated horror film for one and you're right that that score definitely stands out and i think it's safe to say uh a score can make or break a movie if you got a shitty score suddenly the movie just doesn't feel right uh or if the score just drops out like one of my favorite 80s action movies like for almost five ten minutes of the movie talking about jake speed suddenly you're like where the move where the music it's go? very noticeable yeah <laughs> you know this is weird but but uh but i think horror films in particular if the score is bad it can really ruin the tension because horror films are all about tension totally right? agree and i'm sorry just to bring go back to jake speed for a second there's a song that i really like in that movie that you were trying to help me find still trying does jake speed have a a, a published soundtrack it does. It's the score. But that song which is isn't phenomenal. On it? Oh, nope. man. It's not. All right. And it's a great score. It's one of my favorite action scores, by the it's way. It's a really good score. score. Sorry, everybody. That was yeah. for my own edification. Thank you. 
No, it's okay. It's okay. It's worth it. Any any it's opportunity to talk speed. about Jake Speed. We we'll have to cover that. Like movie night after night is the name of the song I want, or time of, it's night after night. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good song. So good. But yeah, Chopping Mole is great. And it's funny you say that about the opening, the opening standing out to you the most. Um, because it's a straight up horror film. And in this weird way, I kind of, I kind of agree with you. Um, well, of course I do because we're cut from the same mold, (laughs) but it's like nostalgic and it's fun. And that's what I love about the eighties. And it gets really dark really fast. And you're like, no, it's really dark. And people are getting their heads exploded. And right. it's fun. It's definitely a fun movie to right. watch with a with a. But group you're not of surprised that those people are getting their heads exploded because they're you know they're having sex yeah. and they're doing the bad stuff like the '80s uh, formula. They're. Yep, they're they're you breaking break all the, the rules, rules as they you say. Don't survive. And that soundtrack actually got released on vinyl fairly recently, um, and like sold out. It's very popular. Any more? Any more you want to say about it? Nope. <laughs> no. Good. Um, Okay, my number five is a soundtrack, not a score. It is from 1989. It's Wes Craven's Shocker. And Shocker! 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 <laughs> We're like the lambs to the slaughter! Shocker! So, fun fact about me, one of my favorite vocalists of all time is Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley from Kiss. And... Down to the point where I just love his banter his that he has with on stage. You know, you know, sometimes it, they come up on stage and they just say, "You got to turn it up, people! Come on!" You know, in you know Australia, they don't call it dynasty; they call it dynasty. <laughs> people, oh like I could go on for days about my about my impressions of Paul Stanley. I love Paul Stanley, and I and and so when the nineteen eighty nine West Craven. Um, supernatural, t- uh, electronically moving horror villain uh, classic came out. It came out with a kick-ass soundtrack. Really quick, the the premise of this movie is uh, the, the 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 villain played Horace Pinker, played by Mitch Pileggi of X Files fame, um, gets electrocuted, mm-hmm. and when he does, he his body, his spirit still lives, and he basically transfers from one source of energy into another, and he can transfer into bodies. And it's like a body-swapping movie. He goes into another body, kills people. And so they, there's a killer on the loose doing all the things Horace Pinker did. And the only person that knows or thinks that it's Horace Pinker is this kid played by Peter Berg, this football guy. And his dad's a cop, and his dad doesn't believe him, played by Michael Murphy of um, Cloak & Dagger fame. And it's Wes Craven, and it's eighties yep. West. It's late eighties West Craven, so it's quirky. Like he did People Under the Stairs, he did Serpent in the Rainbow, and he did Shocker. He did like his trilogy of kind of unique uh, horror films. This movie is similar, a little bit similar to the Horror Show, which starred Brian James, uh, the guy who gets mm. electrocuted and comes back as a ghost, uh, and and Lance Henriksen, which is part three to House. The movie House, but they, for some reason, renamed it The Horror Show. So that's a whole other side. Wait, what? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and then they came out with House 4, and everybody was like, well, where's House 3? What the fuck is this? Anyways. um, What the hell's going on? This soundtrack, and I'll get back to Paul Stanley in a second, features artists like um, 
Bonfire, who uh, the song, uh, Paul Stanley uh, helped write this song. It's called Sword and Stone. It's got um, it's got everybody like Iggy Pops on there. It's also got uh, No More, No More, Mr. Nice Guy by Megadeth. But the yep. title song, Shocker, by the Dudes of Wrath, which is a terrible name. It's uh, like it. Paul Stanley helps out on these vocals. And the lyrics, I just have to read some of the lyrics. You see the shadow of a stranger Turn around and your life's in danger This crazy world's in a grave situation ah. And it goes into the Shocker! Anyway, I love it because I just hear Paul saying "Shaka," and it stayed with me. I had stayed with me since I saw it in the theater. Uh, I have the cassette tape still, so it'll definitely pop up on Soundtrack Saturday on Instagram. Now, did you? Was this your first? Um exposure to paul stanley no i saw kiss when i was like six years old in michigan okay that makes sense right of course of course you would (laughs) yeah why wouldn't a six-year-old go see kiss i mean you know it's just that's was that your first concert my first concert was queen that same year when you were three i was six six well i'm just just going back as far as i can oh no sorry I guess if you were in the womb and you hurt, you were at a concert. I think it was seven. I think it was and seven. So it was like nineteen eighty. Really impressed. Okay, so you you knew about Paul Stanley prior to Shocker. Oh, I had the and then I had you kissed dolls. Uh, yeah, and then I got the. And game. was it a happy surprise to realize that? Oh, wait it was a, a huge yeah. I because I didn't know Stanley. You know uh, the thing is like the late eighties, early nineties with soundtracks for movies were so weird because sometimes they would release the soundtrack ahead of time to promote the movie. Sure. They didn't do that before. And then they started right. doing it heavily in the late eighties, early nineties. And then you, you watch the movie that we've talked about before and you're like, wait, where's the song? None of the song. Three where's seconds song? of a song. Where's the motherfucking song. This Assholes. movie definitely featured a lot of those songs in it, which was great. Um, and so I knew no one else comes close to Paul Stanley's vocals. You hear it and you're like, oh, that's Paul Stanley. That's definitely Paul. Agreed. Freddie Mercury, Ozzy Osbourne, Paul Stanley, like these guys of rock. You know, Lemmy. You know who these guys are. Lemmy Paul Stanley is has such an interesting sound. And I emulated him, uh, especially when I was on stage as a performer, like when I'd be in, in a band. It's like I channeled Paul Stanley all I could. So Nice, nice. And then it became um, Pat Monahan. Just kidding. Right. It went from Paul Stanley to train. Paul Stanley is phenomenal though. He really is. And so he would be very upset to hear that you abandoned him for <laughs> Pat Monahan. Would he? I think so. I think he'd be very, very sad. Um anyway, that's that's great. Uh the only thing I'll say about it is uh, well, two things. First, I want to give you, I want to commend you because I threw you a curveball. I said, you know, you thought it was scores. I said it was soundtracks and you just went immediately right to that. So you weren't thrown in, in the, in the, when the pressure was on, when the heat was on, you were really like, I'm good, man. Yep. I got shocker. I got shocker, baby. I got Paul Stanley. So I got the shocker. That's, <laughs> that's phenomenal. Um, my thing with Shocker that I that my like memory thing is like 
the cover of Shocker, I always thought that was Steve Martin in the electric chair. <laughs> I still to this day think I'm like, why isn't where's Steve Martin? Why isn't he in that movie? Because, and I, you know, we we don't have the visual component here, but if you will you on the know synopsis the poster. And, yeah. Yes, uh, he'll go and you'll see, and it looks like Steve Martin is very he's getting electrocuted. The only thing he's missing is a arrow through his head. Right, but that's that's what it seems like. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I thought Shocker was. I was like, is what's the tone of this movie? You know, is it a is it a horror movie? I, Steve Martin's in it. He's hilarious. The jerk. What's going on? So, and you and you've seen Shocker, yeah? I have seen Shocker. I have seen Shocker. It's great. I mean, you know, it's like I I think what I was what I was sort of. Imp- implying as far as like i don't there are not a lot of horror movies that i love to the point of like re-watching mm, yeah so okay. you know so even and i think we've talked about this like i've seen them and i've been like okay that was fine you know <laughs> um and then like i'll revisit them um just like i re- i just revisit a lot of random movies sometimes i'll be going through amazon prime yeah like, you oh, do you, re- you know, yeah, 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 you do. I really do, and I and I and um and I love bad movies. Like bad movies is kind of like a, a hobby. So, um, anyway, all that to say, um, you know, it's it's been some time. If if you put me on the spot and you were like, "What happened in Act Two? I could maybe tell you, but it would be out of order. I would never do. It. But you do no. remember that John Tesh is in the movie. <clears throat> I do remember John Tesh. And on IMDb, it gets like third billing. You're like, wait, John, John Tesh, Tesh. Gets third billing? Uh, uh, and, and I forgot to John mention, Tesh. of course, Mitch Pileggi, for our Who's not listeners, people would mostly remember him from 3 O'Clock High. It's it, fun. I feel like we could probably bring most movies back to 3 O'Clock High. I'm sure we could, like Six, six Degrees. Yeah, Six Degrees. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I will it's say, weird. I will say about that poster you were talking about. To me, it was weird because it was the first time I saw a poster with a guy on the front, and I didn't recognize the guy. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I was so used to seeing posters. If it if it didn't have a lead actor that you that was recognizable, like a Harrison Ford or a Tom Cruise, then yes. they would do some sort of weird art, you know, uh, or like show the building that the the, the, the murders take place. Straight up to like Nightmare on Elm Street, you know. They, obviously, Freddy Krueger's on the cover, but like, but this says straight up Mitch Pileggi on the front. And you're like, wait, this guy hasn't really done a whole lot. But it's a really good point. Yeah, and I think that's probably why my mind was like, oh, it's Steve Martin. It's very random. It's very random. Okay. Yeah. I don't know who Mitch Pileggi is. Okay. Yeah, and then like the Peter Berg connection that we have, I feel like is there's oh. always like a Peter Berg. I'm sure Peter um, Berg is like, uh, guys, I don't want to talk about this movie. Can we talk about Friday Night Lights or, uh, <laughs> or the, the Last Soldier? Or what was the, the the military movie he made that was really good with Mark Wahlberg? Anyways, I think he'd rather talk about oh, his yeah. film making yeah. career versus his acting career. But I love Peter Berg as an actor. Aspen Extreme, yeah, Shocker. But that's my number five. I love it. I love it. Um, the uh what what you're also making me think of is like how you think about um the first time you 
associate your like an actor with a certain movie. Yes. And then yes. you're like, well, they can't possibly have a career before that movie. Yes. But then, you know, Aaron and I watch a lot of Murder She Wrote. And of course you do. In Murder She Wrote, 80. it's like you just encounter you just encounter like everyone that we talk to on a you know or, or talk to or or talk about on a yes. regular basis. So we talked to Jesus Garcia, the upcoming episode by the way. Spoiler. But if you're listening, then, you know, bless you and it's worth it. But if you're not listening, then, you know, it'll be a surprise. Then I see him on Murder, She Wrote. Um, you know, last night there's an episode and who's, you know, who's on it. And I feel like this has happened before. John Die. Oh. The little Virgil from Best of the Best. Of course. It's like, and then there were like seven other people in that same Murder, She Wrote episode. And I'm just like, this is. It's like, this is what people would do. They would like make like a bad movie and then they would just go on Murder, She Wrote or like, you know, whatever. Not like that... Miami Vice. Yes. And and as you've mentioned, Murder, She Wrote is the elderly uh, Miami Vice, which is the the older 21 Jump Street yes. or something like that. I really paraphrase badly, but. No, you connected it. it. The paths of 80s actors and their various ages. That's where you. That's where you would go. It was like this show to be on. Yeah, Michael Beck, so, Swan from the Warriors. I was like, what else has he been in? Oh, Murder She Wrote, of course. Yep. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> been in Murder She Wrote, and usually multiple times. Like yeah. usually, you know, they just not as the same character. Fun fact: Murder She Wrote, mediocre soundtrack. It's a mediocre show. It's not it even a that. Mediocre show. It's not even really that that good. You just have the nosiest woman on the planet. When I, um, when I was a kid and I would be at my grandfather's house, that show came on every Sunday night or whenever, I think it was Sunday night. And so we would either be forced to watch that or I could read the Bible. Oh, no. And you read the Bible. I read the Bible. That's so bold. That's so bold. I'm like, where are the pictures? That's so bold. Anyways. Bible or Jessica Fletcher? And you chose Bible. Think about that. No wonder. True, folks. It's true. all making sense. It's all making sense. All righty. Let's uh, move it on here. Um, okay. So my next movie, it's 1981's American Werewolf in London. Oh. Um, John Landis. Yes. Um, why did I pick this movie? Well, because this movie has a very ironic... Uh, soundtrack selection, if you will, it yes. it basically owns the fact that every song in the movie has something to do with the moon. Yes, I'm like, you know what? I like that. I think that's very interesting. Um, it's very memorable. Uh, you and I have a shared love for Sam Cooke. Um, Absolutely, uh, inter inner space. Um, you know, so many, so many songs. Sam Cooke was a genius and, um, witness and yeah, I mean, Sam Cooke, Sam Cooke in this movie, you know, so there's like three, there's like three different versions of blue moon, um, that they play. Uh, but Sam Cooke's is the best and, and, and most memorable as far as the transformation, um, an American werewolf in London, um, you know, what, what to say about it. Uh, classic, um, kind of a black dark comedy. Um, or, you know, cause it's, it's, it's a horror movie, but 
uh, our buddy Griffin Dunn. I feel like Griffin Dunn has been on the show for some. Like sometimes when I see him, I'm like, oh, we interviewed him. I'm like, no, we didn't. But we should have. We, we should. should. We should. So uh, let's so make good. a mental note. Griffin Dunn, um, David Naughton, uh, and when he is transforming, Sam Cooke's Blue Moon. You saw me standing alone without a dream. My heart, my heart, without a love of my own. Uh, but then also you got Moon Dance by Van Morrison. Um, and one of your favorites, John Fogarty. Yep. Uh, Bad Moon Rising. Yep. Um, moon, 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 moon. Uh, in a werewolf movie. So, you know, some might say that's a little on the nose, a little ironic. Uh, I love it, you know. I think that's one of the best parts of the movie. To be honest with you, uh, I don't consider this movie to be one of my favorite horror films, but the score, the soundtrack is fantastic. You're right. Uh, the third act is really powerful. The first act is hilarious and fun. The middle yeah. is kind of, you know, to yeah, me, yeah. to me personally. Yeah, I agree. I and agree. I saw it. I saw it at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica um, a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic struck. And I remember feeling that way. I was like, okay. I mean, the ending definitely shocked me and was intense, but I was like, this is kind of slow, which a lot of Hammer horror films do, by the way. And I yeah. think this was an homage to Hammer horror films in a way, John Landis' mm-hmm. version. Mm-hmm. Um, but the soundtrack, yeah, very on the nose. I love that. I love when it plays on that. It's a nice, nice choice, dude. Nice. Uh, thanks. You're welcome. Uh, number four. Are you ready for my number four? Yep. yep. All right. right. So my number four is a score. Um, it is, it is one of my favorite supernatural horror films of all time by one of my favorite directors of all time, even though he absolutely hates this movie. (laughs) He's gone on record to say he hates it. Uh, it's got one of my synth favorite synth wave artists, of all the times it is 1983's the keep directed by michael mann and the score is by tangerine dream uh tangerine dream most people will know three o'clock high but risky business is probably the top one um the keep is a if you've never seen it it's a it's an odd horror film it's based on a book and apparently the book is way better but the movie's very supernatural in the sense like you could turn the sound off or just have the score play and enjoy the movie. The dialogue it's, is kind yeah. of inconsequential. It, it's about a it's about a small little Jewish town in like Poland uh, that's being invaded by Nazis, and Nazis. there's a giant like wall that is preventing them from accessing one side to another, and they want to uh, they want to basically hold up there they want to make a camp there turns out this wall is a gateway into another dimension uh is is it is it the devil is it satan is it some other weird being you got to watch to find out it's really hard to find i think you could actually you might be able to find it on netflix physical copies which is really weird but not actually on their (laughs) streaming service fun fact um 
this the cast is phenomenal. It's got Scott Glenn, Ian McKellen, Jurgen Prochnow. All your uh, favorites. Gabriel Byrne, one of his one of his first roles, by the way. Um Michael Mann creates a dreamlike effect throughout this whole movie. I think it's beautiful. I, I think he's got nothing to uh be upset about. I think the movie's actually really good. Why doesn't he like it? I I think that he had to cut a bunch of it. Oh, uh, compromised. Constant editing Studio and rewrites bullshit. and all sorts of stuff. That Sounds like that sense. was the issue. But the score, oh my God. The score is like, put some headphones on and just close your eyes and go off to creepy dreamland because that, that is the score that tangerine dream crafted i think personally it's their best score they've ever done i think it's i love risky business and i love um three o'clock high but this one tops for me the key tangerine dream is like um yeah german electronica i mean i guess that's what you call it 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 uh a lot of people don't uh i don't want to miss misquote my facts here but um, Tangerine Dream actually did a, a score for uh, Grand Theft Auto V, really? which I think I believe it was the first composer to do um, a score. And when you were talking about, you know, talking about the Keep, it's one of the best. Um, it's one of the best things I've heard in a video game, and it and it and it really speaks to how video games are, you know, primarily cinematic these days. Um, Really, I think you'd really enjoy. Really I'm going to check it out. It's, it's so yeah, good. I didn't know that. I tapped um, out after uh, Vice City. After Vice City, and of course, yeah, it's it's like weird when you think about like Vice City being influenced by Miami Vice, which Michael Mann, you know, yeah. created. But uh, but Vice City had a, had an excellent soundtrack. Yeah, sure did. That was primarily you know all these amazing '80s songs, obviously. But Grand Theft Auto V has like a score, like wow. A, just a really dope, dope score. Cool, check it um, out. So anyway, I think it's a, a great choice. I've, uh, I have seen the keep. It's been a long time, um, and uh, certainly everybody hates Nazis, and everybody loves Scott Glenn. So <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah it, a, a, a no brainer there. And it has moments where you're like, wait, this continuity doesn't really line up with certain scenes. Uh, and I think that's another flaw of the movie. It's flawed, but overall it's magical. You can actually find a physical copy legit. It's not a uh, bootleg uh, via diabolikedvd.com. They Ooh. sell, boot- they're a boutique DVD store. Very hard to find stuff. It's an import, uh, but it's region free. And definitely worth picking up in my opinion to have a physical copy of it. Physical copies are where it at where it's at before you know it gets released on Netflix and they change the uh, the score for some reason. Yeah, dare they can't clear it and they just put uh, pentatonic songs in place yeah. and you're like. But apparently, Michael Mann hates this with a passion. He's just like adamant about it. I'm like, Come on, mm. if we ever if I ever if we ever have the opportunity to talk to Michael Mann, I got to bring that up. I want to know why. I find that very interesting. I don't think you should hate it. I think you should actually be like, okay, experimental period. Hmm. It's good. Yeah. Choice. Thanks. I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback right on it. You know, my number three 
uh, also features Tangerine Dream um, and is a little uh, film that you may have seen. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, it's Firestarter from 84. Oh, nice one. And um, Firestarter uh, is most well-known, of course, for featuring one of our top five, Keats. Of course. Uh, Keith, Keith David. Everybody knows that. Um, Heather Keith Locklear. David. Heather Locklear. Drew Barrymore. Uh, and Fires. And an amazing, amazing tangerine dream. Choice. You know, yeah, it's. I don't have a ton to say about it. I really. Well, it's, it's a really interesting time. It, Stephen King movies were coming out like one year after another, basically, because Christine mm-hmm. came out soon after that too, after Firestarter. Yep. Um, another phenomenal soundtrack, but you know, got some good songs on that one. Yep. Um, but Firestarter is really unique in the sense that it, it's one of his one of King's like downbeat super downbeat movies <laughs> David Keith's so lovable in that such a lovable yeah. but it's cool with the whole telekinesis and fire and all that shit love it great kid. George C. Scott Martin Sheen it's like uh, great cat. you just don't want to make girls angry uh, when they have telekinesis in wow. a Stephen King in a Stephen King movie nope um, yeah Carrie right yeah Carrie yeah um is there any others telekinesis? I'm sure there are more. Uh, the Fury, but that was not Stephen King. That was uh, mm. Brian De Palma, who also did Brian... Carrie, by the way. The Fury okay. was with uh, Kirk, Kirk Douglas. And, uh, Part of him, yeah. <laughs> anyways, there's an angry woman in that too. <laughs> Actually, this is the connection with also with Brian De Palma's the Fury and Carrie was that um, in both of those movies, Amy Irving, Amy Irving is in both and she's a, but then in the Fury, she's, she's got the telekinesis and, you know. Okay. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. Bada there bing, bada you boom. have it. Firestarter. Wow. All right, man. Yeah. You, so many like, Honorable mention will go on for days and days, but um, <laughs> my number three is uh, my number three features. Well, our upcoming guest. What? My number three. I didn't see this coming. Is the 1985 Vampire Next Door classic, Fright Night. The score is by Brad Fidel. <laughs> um score and soundtrack phenomenal brad fidel's score another synth based score with heavy guitar dun, 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 dun. <laughs> as jerry bites into amy but uh i mean the soundtrack itself with with the artists you've got the jay giles band uh that does the 
signature title track, Fright Night. Uh, you've got April Wine, which is actually like a 70s rock band. Really good. Decent rock band, by the way. It's got Devo. It's got uh, Sparks. Sparks is great, if you don't know who Sparks is. It's got Ian Hunter. Ian Hunter was in a band called Mott the Hoople. You might have heard that song, All the Young Dudes. They did I've the heard original that version of that okay. song. Okay, I don't know that I've heard the original version. Uh, Good Man in a Bad Time. Ian Hunter oh, had a track, dudes. I think, on The Wraith, too. Um, he popped up on a lot of soundtracks in the 80s, which is cool. Mm. But it mm-hmm. has a mm-hmm. great song. Uh, so, okay, there's a song by Autograph. Autograph does that song, you know, Turn up the radio! Right. right, and we've brought that up for some reason previously, and I'm not remembering why. Yeah, because okay. I love that song. Um, but they do a song called You Can't Hide from the Beast Inside, which is a ditty, in my opinion. But the, the song, to me, besides Brad Fidel's soundtrack, the song that stands out uh, is by Evelyn King, and it's called Give It Up. And it's it takes place in the... Uh, dance sequence in Fright Night when Jerry is wooing Amy. So really quick, because we didn't talk about what Fright Night's about. Yeah. About a kid named Charlie. Uh, he's got a, you know, he's got a perfect life. He's got a, well, you don't know what happened to his dad, actually, but he's got a mom. Uh, <laughs> you never know. You never know what happened to the dad. They never talk about it. Anyway, he's got a girlfriend named Amy, played by Amanda uh, Bears. Uh, Charlie's played by William Ragsdale. Bears. Uh, he's got a buddy that he is a total dick to. Uh, Evil Ed, played by Stephen Jeffries. And he makes out with Amy every night, and they watch Fright Night on TV, which is a late-night horror show hosted by Roddy McDowell, who plays Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. Then he finds out his next-door neighbor is a vampire, played by Chris Sarandon, uh, Jerry Dandridge. And Jerry Dandridge has a um, hetero life mate, Billy Cole, played by Jonathan Stark of House 2 fame. Uh, the whole movie is... <laughs> I, I, it's one of my favorite movies of all the times. It really is. It's in my yes. Well, I can see that you're reading a synopsis that you've written for the back of the uh, VHS cover, and I, um, that you, you know, your own personal one. It's all no, my I, own personal I, synopsis. Yeah. Listen, I think this bears mentioning that um, you did cover this one on podcasting after dark. You did. guys did cover that. You did interview Tom Holland. You and did Steve. interview Stephen Jeffries. Uh, you didn't interview Amanda Beers, but you thought about her maybe while you were. <laughs> interviewing the other people and um and you didn't interview herman from herman's head but um this is a movie that is very near and dear to your heart yep and yeah and i think you know anybody who who wants to go deeper into that movie should just listen to that to your to your breakdown 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go too much deeper. I will say, it's uh, thorough. During during the height of the pandemic, um, and during the election season, Michigan uh, campaign Michigan for Democrats did a um, table read, a Zoom table read of Fright Night, live Zoom table read, where they got the entire living cast because Roddy McDowell's not alive anymore. Actually, Mark Hamill replaced Roddy McDowell as Peter Vincent. And they did a table read where they featured the songs from the movie as well. Um, oh, that's cool. It was really cool. It was really so, different. And actually, yeah. Bodie watched it with me. Uh, I would never show him this movie now, but the table read was cool because they're basically reading a story. Really, really interesting. The score, though, like that guitar. And, you know, we talked to Brad Fidel about that. It, it, it's just so iconic and it so is. memorable. To me... As I'm memorable and as iconic as the Terminator. That do 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 Same. Just for me, that's the same. I love Friday Night. I watched it all the time uh, as a kid. Occasionally, I still do. And, you know, some people don't necessarily like it as much as I do, and that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I love it. So, Fright Night is, is number three. I think it's cool. I just, um, I have, I have certain opinions about specific performances that are given of course you uh, do. <laughs> that are not you know very uh yeah the, the acting might be from one particular character might be a little bit over overboard and uh it's and very like like we're on stage like we're on we're you know we're just like a stage actor that's still performing on stage um for some reason anyway uh if you gave the average person like the coke and pepsi test of you know fright night to terminator you know, I think most people would probably recognize Terminator. Yes, I agree. Just the nature of, you know, Terminator being a blockbuster. and Fright Night was not um, a blockbuster. It was, a, right. it's a cult hit. It's more of a cult hit. Yes. Yeah, it might be the most famous cult movie of all time. I mean, I'm just making that up. I think that's fair. I think it's, it's fair to say because it, it didn't, it wasn't as, it's gained in popularity. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's great. And, uh, do you ever do you ever sometimes randomly think about how William Ragsdale was in the sequel The Mannequin? Yes. And that's like the weirdest like I think about that sometimes randomly. I'm like, that's the weirdest thing it's that's so ever happened in movie sequels or something. Like just it you know, Andrew McCarthy and then we're just get William Ragsdale for the second one and Yeah. I wanna know what happened there, like with the sequel. Like they only could get Hollywood back, but nobody else. Everyone was like, "Yeah, we don't want to do this." Anyway, it's just these random things I think about sometimes. Well, I wonder. Do you think that was a studio thing? They just like the studio's like, "Oh, we have the rights to this. Let's just like they did with Kindergarten Cop two, not that long ago." <laughs> you know, throw the ah, throw Dolph Lundgren in there. Nah, no one's gonna know. No one's gonna yeah, care. I don't. Police Academy similar. five. Get Matt McCoy to uh, you know, be the next Mahoney. No one's gonna care. Right. Well, at that point, there had been so many that, you know, but it, but you're right, though. You're right. Because even even as a kid, I was like, all right, like he's not playing Mahoney. He's playing Nick. Yeah. He's playing, you know, nephew Nick. But still, and, and they're in Florida. So you're like, all right, I guess I, I guess this makes sense. But then, um, but he's not. Yeah, he's not. No one's Gutenberg. Well, isn't isn't nephew Nick like cousin Arnold? Same thing, dude. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. 
You don't yeah. replace. I like Matt McCoy in his beautiful blue eyes, but uh, I'm fine with him. Yeah, he's not the Goots. But the thing with Matt McCoy is, <laughs> this is such a digression. But the thing with Matt McCoy is he's kind of like this. He's kind of smarmy. You know, he's kind of like, well, yeah, like Gut- like Gutenberg was charming. Like he was naturally charming. He was hitting on girls in a sleazy way. You're like, oh, I like that guy. You know, Matt McCoy's like, hey, hey, Uncle Eric. You know, you're like, ugh. I think because Matt McCoy looks like a Ken doll, he really yeah. does. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Yeah. He's nah, a good looking, well, I, like, I do. Very. <laughs> and Goot, Goot to me feels more everyman, even though, you know, yeah. he just feels more everyman. It, like the tone of his voice. Everything about him just seems more uh, average in a good way. We need Gutenberg on this show, man. We just Come need on, him on the show. We need the Goot. Anyways, yeah. All right. Gutenberg, never in a horror Thanks. film. Matt McCoy in Deep Star 6. Um, okay, moving along, moving along. We're doing, we're like nine, 90 minutes behind schedule. It's fine. Um, okay, so number uh, number two. You were on your, we're two. on your number twos. We're going fast. Okay, so number two uh, is a soundtrack to a movie that was kind of based on the the uh, infamous Bloody Mary stories. You know, when you go in front of a mirror and you say, not her name three times, but his name three times. And what is that name? It's not Beetlejuice. It's Candyman. Wow. And Candyman uh, surprises me for a lot of reasons because, um, you know, and obviously, but the, you know, you say his name three times in a mirror. He appears. I feel like everybody knows the story. He's got a hook for a hand. He's terrifying. Um, but uh, the the score for this is done by Philip Glass. Philip Glass, I do not like as a composer. Um, overall, Philip Glass has done uh, so many movies. Um, and yeah, there was a point where I was like very excited about. Um, Philip Glass, and this is just again, this is going to be a slight digression, but uh, you know, as uh, you know, I'm a practicing Tibetan Buddhist, and uh, Philip Glass very involved in that in that world, and he was going to score. He's he's he scored some Dalai Lama stuff. He was going to score uh, Kundun, which was the story about. I mean, he did score Kundun. It's one of the worst soundtracks I've ever heard. I, I do I do not like it. People, I'm sure, can disagree with me. Um. There's something about the Candyman piano tinkling the ivories in such a way that is so distinct and uh, and terrifying to me. I remember in 92, you know, even though you know, like, oh, you know, the Candyman's probably not going to appear if I stand in front of a mirror and say his name. But being so terrified and just thinking about this score. Um, it resonated with you. Yeah. And I, I remember like having a like a sleepover with a bunch of dudes and just being like watching this movie, which sounds so funny in retrospect. And then like, you know, well, like, you you go in the bathroom and turn the light off and, and say say his name. And, and I was just, yeah, I was just thinking about he's coming and. Um. Yeah, and that music. We would have had a lot of fun if, if we knew <laughs> each other in high school. We would have had a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I just realized that. Yeah, man. I'm sorry. Now. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. I'm like, Zach, why are you crying? He's like, it's just the times that we didn't have together. Yeah, because I fell asleep and people put fucking dog food in my mouth and put snails on my face. Oh, bleach. yeah. But anyways. Bleach uh, on your face? Sorry, detergent. Detergent on my face. Oh, God. Yeah, it's terrible. Fuck those um, guys. We didn't watch Candyman. I hope you aren't friends with them anymore. No, sure not. Sure not. But, no, I mean. But yeah, dude, Candyman is, I mean, it's Clyde Barker wrote that story. Um, and it's a did. great story. It deals with some really heavy issues. It's getting remade by uh, Jordan Peele. I think it's going to be. Twenty twenty one, baby. Yeah, this. Oh, I'm like twenty twenty one. That's this year. This year, I think it's going to be really good. Uh, yeah, because I think he's the source material is staying true to that. Tony mm-hmm. Todd is great. Tony Todd's a legend in the horror film industry. Uh, yeah. Oh man, dude. So good. And Virginia Madsen. This is actually an odd time for her because she. I'd say she was not the. I don't like the term downside of their career, but she wasn't as um, <laughs> popular at this stage of her career as she was back then. It's kind of a departure for pre, her to do a movie. Pre-sideways. Uh. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I love it. Great, great choice, dude. Yeah. yeah. And I agree with you. Philip Glass is, it's, this is going to rub people the wrong way too, but I'm not a huge fan of, um, well, actually that's not true. I've grown, I've grown to appreciate the soundtrack to Star Wars and Jurassic Park. And Oh, yeah, yeah. Indiana Jones. It's just, but to me, it's just like you're talking about John Williams. Yeah, like look, yeah. it's all good. I think these people are so talented. I'm just coming from a perspective of like, does a score move me to tears in a drama? Does it move me to fears in a horror? And I can see why this yeah. does it for you in Candyman. So yeah, has uh, has John Williams done any horror? Well, didn't he do Jaws? Okay, good point. Yeah. I mean, it is, but <laughs> but that's 1975, and we were going with movies that came out in 78 and up. <clears throat> that's why I didn't make the list. Um, but, you know, I and I will say, I will say, and I don't agree with it, but I will say that it was on the cover of Fangoria at one point. Jurassic Park was on the cover of Fangoria. Oh. I think at this point, was... Fangoria was pulling straws. You know, just like, well, we need right. something for our cover. We need something. You, Jurassic Park is not eyes. a horror film. There's horror no. elements, horrific elements. No. The idea of something. No, like, but uh, you know. But well, I just feel like what you're speaking to is kind of like a, like a, that whole issue of like, you know, there's certain people that just like don't like Spielberg. They don't like John Williams, and a lot of that has to do with like, you know, their mainstream collaboration. So in a way, like certain certain people are programmed. To not like it. I agree with you. Jurassic Park is not a horror film. But I also think that there are all these people who are like, you know, like just really want to hate Saving Private Ryan, for example. And then, but you're like, but at its core, I'm like, but that's a good, it's a good story. It's a good movie. Well, it's the same people that hate the Who or hate the Beatles. Yeah. First of all, I I, I hate that word hate. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's such a strong word for for something that is not going to hurt you at all. I think I think you should hate things that can actually physically hurt you or do terrible things to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's this idea of like, it's so mainstream, man. Why do you like that shit? Like, hey, yo, you can like yeah. whatever you like. I tend to like the more obscure stuff, you know. And we'll get to that when we get to our uh, a few of our honorable mentions. But, uh, yeah, anyways, you can yeah. like 
makes yeah, sense. You can like whatever you want to like. I mean, I, I totally agree. I'm about to drop a number two on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where is your six-year-old? Uh, Who does number two work for? That is so disgusting. I'm going to drop a a number two on you, a load like you ain't never seen. I'm going to lay a load on you so hot. Uh, Um, What time is it? It's uh, like three in the morning. (laughs) That's so good. I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with a guy. I'm going to hit you with a guy. That, uh, that is with my balls. clearly you'll be like, yeah, of course he's on your list. But my selection of his movies might surprise you. Uh, my number yep. two is from John Carpenter. <laughs> John Carpenter has yep. got to be on one of our lists, of course, just like another movie will be on one of our lists. And I know it's going to show up on yours probably in just a moment. Um, so this one had, he had to be on our list. John Carpenter didn't compose all his movies. Uh, Ennio Morricone obviously, you know, contributed to the thing. And, you know, um, besides that, uh, Alan, how Alan Howarth equally contributed to many of Carpenter's scores. In fact, we saw Alan Howarth uh, at a screening of they live, which is not on my list because it's sci-fi. It's like the best day of Alan Howard's life. I felt like dude. He did a him. he did a concert for us. It was like what Vince DiCola did uh, in Italy. Yeah, but solo. You know, he got to do a concert, and and I know at one point I was like, "This is really cool. We're getting we got a concert by Alan Howard who played many of John Carpenter and his own scores before the before they live. How rad is that? It, it was cool. I remember distinctly being like. Is he just going to go on forever? I, well, I think like, I'm like, you and I kind of leaned into each other and said that to each other. I'm like, we, because we hadn't watched the movie. Yet. No. And I was like, is, it, is this is this the show? Yeah, because he was having like, Are we not going to watch the movie? Yeah. And he had a really flashy shirt on, too. Yeah, he did. It was it was amazing. It was like, but it was like a guy, like, he was like, I'm waiting for this, my entire, you know, like my last 30 years. Like, this is my time. You guys are going to, you know, you're going to take what i give you and we were like yeah it's amazing well i think i think carpenter is a secret uh not secret i think he's open open about the fact that he want he loves being a musician and loves performing yeah um you know go back and look at the the video he did for big trouble in little china as the coupe de villes and and it's these guys look like you know yeah. they're having a good old time but they didn't fit the look that was popular on yep. MTV, I guess. So yep. that's why they didn't hit it in the music field. Kind of like thank, the, the hippies, yeah. Yeah, but thank goodness they didn't because they churned out some amazing movies. Um, you know, people will be like, oh, it's going to be Halloween. Oh, it's going to be Christine. Oh, is it going to be The Thing? No, it's not. It's going to no. be 1987's Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I broke this movie down on Podcasting After Dark as well. Uh, so I won't. Okay. Say, yes. I won't say too much about it, other than the fact that these uh, college students get uh, brought to a church that has something in its cellar that is uh, living, like a moving creature, and it's leaking. It turns out Ugh. it's Satan, and um, Satan is leaking. Everybody. They're analyzing it. They're like, you know, they're 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 analyzing and taking samples and decoding 
translations and uh, meanwhile when they fall asleep they get this weird they have this weird dream which is called a tachyon which is a real thing where something's moving so fast it actually goes in reverse we're like sending messages in in time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. This is a part of his trilogy, his Apocalypse trilogy. He said that this was in, uh, The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness are his three end-of-the-world movies. This movie, to me, still scares the shit out of me. It's yeah, so haunting, yeah, especially yeah. the final five minutes of the movie. is so intense. But the opening, and Carpenter's so good at this, the opening uh, with his the music, the doom-doom, doom-doom, you know, this like kind of brute like brewing uh, sinister thing is coming, you know, to take us, to take us out. It's so great. It's so great. So that's my number two, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Um, It's haunting. It's got a great cast. Of course, Donald Pleasance is in it, but uh, Jameson Parker, who was from, is from Simon and Simon, Lisa Blount, who we mentioned in our top five Keats, uh, who's unfortunately no longer with us. And Victor Wong, Egg Shen, of course, of Big Trouble in Little China, because John loves to reuse, you know, many of his actors. Yeah, and and uh, and Dennis. Dennis Dunn. Yep. Yeah. Wang Wang Chi. Uh, Wang it's got Chi. A great cast. Great cast. And it's got some relatively unknown people in it, where you're like, and that's what I love about Comp- Carpenter too. What I love about Carpenter is that he he uses people that the hero ends up being not somebody you would necessarily expect right which to me is i had the opportunity to meet him at a fangoria convention and i asked him about that specifically and i asked him about his endings because his endings are always very open-ended and he said that's very much intentional because he wants to leave it up to the audience to decide what happens next which i think is very powerful and i think it's also very respectful of your audience you know like he's giving you the power and the, the cast, his casting process that he talked about, he said uh, he likes going with people that you might not have heard of. You know, Big Trouble in Little China. Jack Burton is not the hero. Wang Chi is the hero. Jack no. Burton's the idiot, <laughs> which is what makes it so great. It's the best thing about the movie. He's yeah. an imbecile. Yeah. And he loves his ensemble cast. His ensemble, yeah. He gets these quality performances out of, out of everybody. Anyways, I could gush over... Carpenter all day long. He's a phenomenal composer. I have so much of his stuff on vinyl. Um, he's now, you know, making music besides movies, which is probably a good thing because around the '90s is when his career started to like kind of go downhill. Um, you know, it's just yeah, you can pass. It's crazy. Every uh, in the mouth of madness was the last really good movie he made, and everything before that's great. Everything after that, meh, not so much. Prince of Darkness, it's my number one next to Big Trouble in Little China. It's my number one John Carpenter horror John film Carpenter. of all time. Uh, so it's well your number done. two. Yeah. Wait, are we on number two? We're on number I'm one. on my number one. Oh, okay. So I just have to add a little caveat. Yeah, I kind of it. assumed uh, what that this would be on your list, so I specifically left off my list for what you're about to reveal. Oh, Okay. Knowing well, that, I'm like, for... okay, I'm not going to put it on my list. I'm going to sub, sub. Thanks for sucking the air out of my, uh, out of my. Uh, I don't even want to do it anymore. No, uh, <laughs> wait. What is your no, number one? Because I'm curious. My number one, of course. Up. My number one uh, is a little movie called 
Critters 9, uh, The Return. Knew it. Uh, Scott Grimes plays a grandfather. It's his place in the future. Actually, um, Critters, no. the first Critters movie has that <laughs> power of the night. Streets are calling. Power Critters, of the That's a good song, too. Critters 2, I like, too. Um, uh, no. So my number one is, of course, The Lost Boys, 1987. Just no way to not that be that. Um, best. Best. Unless, of course, we weren't talking about soundtracks. But yeah, I mean, we've. I feel like we've just covered this so much in, in many different angles. Tim Capello, I still believe, Mr. Saxophone Man. Uh, that's incredibly memorable. Um, Cry Little Sister is, you know, I just wake up sometimes singing it. Cry Little Sister. <laughs> Ger- Ger- Gerard. McMahon that yep um yeah and that song is really funny because when you like really like let her fly you know you're like this is longer than I remember like it's like it's like it really is like a like like it's still playing it's like a seven and a half minute song it's a long song and there's just points of the organ where you're like okay uh, you kind of you kind of lost me here a little bit uh it's just like it's just yeah And, and he holds notes for way too long um but Iconic, magical, great song. This is like um, fantastic. And then I feel like there's a lot of songs that like are very memorable too. Um, that might not actually be on the soundtrack. You would know better than I because uh, you have the vinyl right there in front of you. Probably. I have the vinyl and the cassette um, right in front of you. Uh, he's like, no. Well, Lost I'm, in the Shadows by Lou Graham. That Lost in the Shadows. Court, yeah, Stay driving to the night, lost in the <laughs> shadows, right? When they're on uh, their motorcycles, oh, it's so good! It's so good. That's a six so minute good. song, too. I think it's six. There's like five, there, there's like two. I think there's an extended version of that song, but that one goes um, on for a long time, too. I was gonna mention the one where Corey Haim is uh in the bathtub, you know, where like there's like chaos going oh, on. Oh, now that one's not on the soundtrack. Like, I ain't got a home. <laughs> Ain't got a daughter. <laughs> ain't got a home. Ain't got a song. Um, you know, also very memorable. Um, I used to cover one of the songs from this soundtrack. The, gonna have the, a good time tonight. Rock and roll music gonna play all night. You would just cover it uh, at your parties? No, when I was in Chuck Norris action pants. Oh, nice. And I'm like, guys, can we do this song? They're like, what's this song? I'm like, it's in excess and Jimmy Barnes. So good, dude. Yeah. It's got echo in the bunny men. People are strange is, is, is in my opinion, one of the best covers of the doors. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people like their first thought would be, Oh, Tim Capello, just cause they know his, uh, infamous shirtless saxophone dancing. But yeah, I think in excess, you know that's arguably the best song 
I love that song. Um, yeah. It's on my workout mix. Yeah. That Tim Capello song is a cover too. People often don't right. remember that by the band, the call, I think they're a Canadian band who had a song in but, real genius. Yeah. And it's, and it's one of these funny things where I feel like you're always bringing that up. Like, most episodes it comes up for some reason and i'm always like every time you do it i'm like like it's a cover you know i'm like yeah right who's who, right the call but but <laughs> right. honestly though tim capello i don't retain it he makes it though you know yeah. he makes it that that that's like it's iconic it's it's actually probably dare i say one of the most iconic songs from an 80s movie dare you say i mean i'm gonna dare it you're right though there's a lot of songs that were in the movie that are not on the physical soundtrack um yeah you know walk this way run dmc and yeah that ain't got no home is i I looked it up it's uh by clarence frogman henry Uh, yeah grooving by the rascals like i remember that because i think um it's when uh diane weist and the the boys are are on their way to santa carla yep uh but dude yeah such a great soundtrack so good it's so good yeah, I mean, they really did that one right. They really did. Like, you know, and that came out, what, 87? Yeah. And for some reason, I associated it coming out the same year that Fright Night did because people are always like, oh, Lost Boys, that's a, the best vampire movie. And I'm like, no, Fright Night's the best vampire movie. Well, I think they're very, they're different enough for you to say, no, they're two separately really good vampire movies. Wouldn't it be funny exercise to like switch the songs of Lost Boys and Karate Kid? Like, you know, like, like that, that where they're going down to the beach, like, like in Karate Kid, you know, it's into the night. And you took that song and you, you put that for the vampires. And then, you know, like that song by Commuter. <laughs> well, I think if you did, if you took Lost in the Shadows and put it in the scene where, where Daniel is, is, running away uh from the dance you know yes oh yes instead of no shelter yeah oh but which is another great song but yeah. oh that would be but, but you could take no shelter and you could put that yeah you know like where they're getting they're snatching bodies from the bonfire yeah oh <laughs> totally. this might be something that i don't have time to do but you might have to do that might play around with that it's so sad to think about like Corey Haim and and how yeah. how good Corey Haim was is yeah and you just you know you look at these tragedies and you just think man it's such a shame but at least we have their performances on screen to remember them by right yeah so, no it, and that is a great is. soundtrack I forgot to mention do you have any honorable mentions I just have one well I have two I have two I have two uh nope nope. Okay. Well, how about I do two? How about I do my two and it'll right. be like the two for the, the two yeah, of It'll us. be like we each had one. Yes. Yes. Um, really quick. There, there are two scores, so I'll keep it short. Uh, one of them is the 1981 Lucio Fulci Italian horror film, The Beyond. And if you've never seen The Beyond. Which I have not. Do yourself a favor and go watch it now. Okay. It's, I'll see you uh, later. Fabio Frizzi. Fabio Frizzi. He does this. Uh, it, it's it's like this. You know, you'll hear the soundtrack now, and you go, "Oh, this is a Quentin Tarantino soundtrack," because he loves to take mm-hmm. his Italian mm-hmm. composers and 
it's great. It, the Beyond is bonkers, crazy. You could do the Keep and the Beyond as a perfect double feature for getting high every night and like making you go nuts. Okay. Not that I would do that. I just watch them for, for fun. Right. Um, <laughs> and my last one, my last honorable mention is 1986 From Beyond. Not to be confused uh, with The Beyond. Not the the yes. beyond. This is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story, um, directed by Stuart Gordon. Rest in peace, great horror director. Richard Band did the soundtrack. Mm. Richard Band also did the soundtrack for Reanimator. Oftentimes, people say Reanimator is the movie that they associate Richard Band with, starring Barbara Crampton. Richard Band also. What's that? I said starring Barbara Crampton. Barbara Crampton. It's got a, and, and and Jeffrey Combs uh, as the as the lead. This one has uh, Ken Forey from Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, another pretty decent soundtrack, too. Um, but From Beyond is a gore fest, and, and it's just different. It, it, and also, Richard Band was known for using a live orchestra with a lot of his uh, scores. He didn't do a lot of synth. He kind of tried to stay away from that. So that's something to point out. But my number one, are you ready for my number I'm ready. one? Because the beautiful thing about this one, it's score and soundtrack combined what because the score itself very synth based the soundtrack very synth based it's the 1986 michael mann double dose of michael mann does he like this one (laughs) he does like this one michael mann movie manhunter michael manhunter michael manhunter which apparently gets overlooked i guess I've read on, uh, you know, certain Like your, on your fan blog that you wrote, that you write? I was going to say message boards, but that's so out of date. Like I went on, <laughs> I went on, um, I went on uh, you, uh, YouTube and looked up the score and I was looking at some of the comments and they're like, oh, it's so underrated, so underrated, so underrated. Is it really underrated? Is Manhunter an underrated film? I think it is because it didn't, it didn't come out of the gate. Um, successful? No, that's true. It it had had a bigger life after. I think it is, and and I'm I am somebody who just I just rewatched this movie last week, so I'm it's very fresh. Um, in my mind, it's 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 a great movie. I mean, it's really really well done. The soundtrack, yeah. of course, is is phenomenal. Um, Michael Rubini does the score, and then it's got a, a, a plethora of kind of unknown artists semi-unknown artists but i mean it's it's so moody uh visually that it is one of those movies like you're right like like the score would if the score didn't match up correctly it wouldn't make a lot of sense and uh, you know of course like william peterson is looking for this killer he's he's hunting a man um i revisited this because i was like oh i kind of want to go back in you know all the Hannibal Lecter lore and kind of mm, start yeah. to revisit a little bit but um it's a movie where you you don't always uh see the perspective of the uh killer or the horror or the creature or whatever it is um yep. and this one gives that to you like not not super early on but like early enough where you're like oh yeah okay that's the guy um Played by Tom Noonan, Red, the Red Dragon. Played by Tom Noonan. Uh, yeah, Tom Noonan. Great actor. Fan, yeah, he's fantastic. 
He's super tall. Um, Francis Dollaride. One of the yes, one of the things that stood out for me, uh, revisiting it, is just how much William Peterson like you know because he's kind of like he's like an empathetic. Um, he has like some sort of clairvoyance that's like hinted at with his abilities yes. to get in the mind of the serial killer sometimes to a, to a detriment, uh, but that's what helps him catch the people. FBI profiler, if you will. And he's doing all these things where he's like, you know, he's like looking at the scene. He's like, oh, you open that window, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. You you open that glass. You saw the bolt cutter. You got the bolt. Oh, you bastard. I'm going to get you, you bastard. And it's like, just like, it's. You know, it had no lock because the. It's so funny. This like, it's kind of like melodramatic little monologues that he's having to himself as he's. With the music building yes, in the background, because he's when he's watching, when he's sitting on the bed in the hotel. The video. You were watching yeah. the video. You know they didn't have yeah. a cat because they. <laughs> you climbed yeah. the tree. You stared. The lights went out. You made. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it's it. so good. I love it. I love it. It's because it's it, it's it's Miami Vice meets a serial killer movie. It's yeah, perfect I mean that's me. a great description. It's uh, Thomas Harris, who it's based on the book The Red Dragon, which was made again in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. 2002. I'm not a fan of that movie. I'm not a fan of that movie, in fact, because I I love this movie so much. That came out and I was just like, this is just not a fan. If, If listeners are, that's great. I feel like this and Silence of the Lambs are great, and that's it. Well, I mean, for me, you know, this is an 80s podcast. We're not talking about like 2002. Yeah, remakes. We're not going there. <laughs> not going there. But, 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 I mean, this movie's a who's who of actors. You know, Joan Allen, Brian Cox. Brian who Cox plays is so good. Hannibal Lecter. So good. Dare I say, on par with Anthony Hopkins. And yeah. Different. Different. Uh, Dennis Farina, who I love. Rest in peace. Yep. Love Dennis Farina. Yep. Stephen Lang, who, you know, people, a lot of people know him from Avatar, as the villain in Avatar, but that guy's been in everything. So good. He has been in um, a lot of movies. It, it's got, it's got, and again, it's like you know these these directors they they work with a lot of people that they're familiar with. So you'll see people in this movie that you're like, oh, that guy's from Miami Vice. Oh, that guy's from Crime Story. You know, um, but the soundtrack, besides that score, which is so by Michael Rubini, there's two songs to me um, that that stand out amongst the. You know, it's got like Inagata Davida, which is very important. Everything plays oh, a, yeah. plays a huge oh, role, yeah. and it's very creepy. They play the entire uh, seven minute they, song. By they, the way. I know because yeah, they keep cutting back, and you're like, oh, is he just playing it on a loop? Like, no, it's nope. like, that's the original version. <laughs> and they're really saying by for for those that don't know, uh, uh, that that band who did uh, Iron Butterfly originally was saying in the Garden of Eden, but it came out in Agata de Vida, and they just um, went with it. But the two. And they that? just went with it, and they, they're like, that's the name of the song. They just went yeah. with it, yeah. Strong as I Am by the Prime Movers. Strong as I am. Which at the end of the song, if you listen, he's literally just going, cha-cha-cha-cha. It's true. Listen back. It's true. Because I listened to it with Bodie, and Bodie's like, is he going, cha-cha-cha-cha? I go, yeah, he's, I don't know why. Why, why uh, Dad? And... Heartbeat by Red Seven. Red Seven actually had a song in um, 
The Explorers. Joe Dante's The Explorers. Oh, yes. That's the only rock song that's in The Explorers, by the way. Or not the only one, but it's like the one where Interesting. Um, they put the headphone. they take the Walkman, yeah. they put the headphones on the aliens. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Red 7 does a heartbeat. song called Heartbeat. 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 <laughs> Looking Let for me a... Hear <laughs> heartbeat. Yeah, at the end. So good. Whoa! So it's like this mashup of like, okay, this doesn't feel like a horror film, but yo, it is a horror film. Yeah. It's a horror film. And he's got those special bullets. Do you remember the scene where he gets the special bullets? I do remember the scene. Oh, because you just watched it. I do remember the scene so where he gets the special bullets. and uh, I love that movie. I love that he movie. He thinks he's going to use it on the on the guy, but it's just a, it's just a jogger. But just, just a points jogger. the special bullets in the jogger's face. Um, jogger happens to be a black man in the all-white police force. <laughs> and he's like, guys, Here we go. I just got mugged. And they're like, easy, easy guy. He's like, come on, guys. I, I uh, fun fact, I have a little, um, there's, a, there's a guy who has a company called Attack of the Clay People. He makes like little statues of figures by hand to the fact, to the point where you can actually see his thumbprints in it. Really cool. And he makes custom made figures. If you request something and uh, he made me a Will Graham figure. So I have a Will Graham statue. It's tucked away in a box. I got to pull it out. You got to get it on the socials. I'll get it out, put it out because it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Will Graham. Anyways. Uh, Manhunter will show up on Soundtrack Saturday for sure. It's already been on Soundtrack Saturday. Oh, yeah, you're right. You, oh, I can't do it again. How quickly? Let's <laughs> just keep doing it again. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry to burst you up. We can, you know, you can have re- reruns. Well, when, when we when we promote this throughout the week, I'll take pictures of my cassettes. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, look, uh, there, we get new listeners. It's like there's no reason why Soundtrack Saturdays can't uh true. Run. this is this is true like oh yeah yeah and for those of you that don't know on our instagram page we feature every saturday a soundtrack uh all of these soundtracks fyi i personally own yeah. i don't just take the stock it's photo not just photo some or. random it's just like there's some some picture of the back to the future soundtrack on a on a desk they're like no no this is in my home what you're seeing yeah who would yeah. do that by the way yeah I don't know. I'm not cynical. I'm not cheated. But I, I'll tell you what, though, dude. This this uh, this top five makes me like want to go watch all these movies. Yeah, now. no, for sure. Sincerely. And I mean, I think you've got Soundtrack Saturday set now for the next uh, ten weeks. I don't own all of them. Oh, you don't? So, not the ones. Not on your list. You own Lost Boys. See, I don't own Firestarter. Chopping. Oh, home. well. Get on that. You're going to be busy. I do. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we want to know what your top five horror soundtracks are. Yes. Let us know on our Instagram. Please. Like we said early in the beginning of the show, this connects with our upcoming interview with Brad Fidel, who definitely talks about Fright Night, part, uh, Fright Night, not Fright Night Part 2, um, True Lies, Terminator, the list goes on and on and on. And like a, uh, a play that he, a musical? Yeah, he's got a musical that he's that he's worked on, that he is promoting, that that's kind of his new pre, his new project. But um, but yeah, this is, 
damn dude great top five list no great great top five to you and um thank you to anybody if you listen this far uh and uh yeah we appreciate you and um and thanks for the continued support and know that we are going to keep bringing the quality so much good quality the quantity so much quality coming the good stuff and scene Listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.